Welcome to the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. I'm Dennis Weens, your host, Senior Impact Catalyst at Sat7 USA. Each week, I invite a guest to join the podcast to share their unconventional ministry approach. We have a unique one today, a pioneering, innovative leader from the Middle East. So please remember to subscribe to the podcast, as well as check out some of the other episodes, as there's a wide variety of guests from week to week and a variety of innovative ministry approaches. And if you can leave a comment, that is welcomed as well. And I thank you in advance for those comments. I want to thank my sponsor, Sat7USA. Sat7 is a Middle East and North Africa multi-platform broadcast media ministry making the gospel available across the Middle East and North Africa. You can learn more at sat7usa.org. That's S-A-T number seven, USA.org. My guest today is Dr. Terrence Ascott, joining us from the Middle East, a pioneering innovator in the area of Christian media. So, Dr. Ascott, welcome to the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. Thank you, Dennis. Great to be with you. you know, we've tried to get you scheduled, and there were hurricanes, and there were COVID, and various <laughs> things kept getting in the way of us uh, recording this podcast. So I appreciate uh, you taking time out of a busy schedule today. Uh, you've lived in the Middle East and served as a leader for indigenous media ministries for more than 40 years. In 1973, you moved to Beirut, Lebanon, and worked to launch an Arabic Christian publishing ministry. And after the start of the Lebanese Civil War, you and your family were evacuated to Egypt. In Egypt, you launched an Arabic youth magazine that was the first Christian magazine to be successfully distributed in newsstands in more than a dozen Arab countries. And then in 1995, along with Middle East Christian leaders and around 20 partner agencies working in the region, you launched Sat7, that is today a media ministry, uh, multiple channels, and we'll talk more about that. And you've written a book called Dare to Believe, an insightful look into the courageous work and witness of diverse Christian communities in the Middle East and North Africa. So we have a lot to talk about today. So thank you for joining us. You've uh, worked in multiple countries. You've spent 40 years in the Middle East. So walking the streets of a city like Cairo, isn't unusual for you, but back 27 years ago, walking the street, there's something that struck you. It's the first chapter in your book. We want to start there. What was it that you saw on the street of Cairo 27 years ago where you stopped and had an epiphany moment, and that changed the course of your ministry? Well, Dennis, yeah, I was living in Cairo and working, as you mentioned, in uh, the publication and distribution of a newsstand magazine. And a great believer in literature, but I was also very cognizant of the fact that a great majority of at least Egypt uh, was not functionally literate. And so a magazine, while it was reaching literally hundreds of thousands of people, was not able to touch the lives of millions more. Anyway, I was walking home from my office one evening, and I came to the high-rise building where I had a flat on the the fifth floor, and they'd begun work on the building site next to our building, and they bought sand, steel, cement, and they kind of bought a, a night watchman who lived at the side of the row with his, you know, two or three kids, and they had nothing. They literally lived on the side of the road and under a tarpaulin to keep off the sun, a few cooking utensils, and nothing else. But tonight, when I came home, there they were all sitting watching a little black and white TV set. And I said to myself, how 
can they afford it? Where Where's the electricity coming from? And I looked and there was a power cord going across the building site to a sympathetic neighbor's power socket. And I just stood there in an amazement. You know, this family, they had nothing. And yet tonight, there they were all huddled around a little black and white TV set. And I, it struck me again, and I'd seen a lot of stuff in newspapers and so on about the growing impact of television in Egypt in the 1980s, early 80s. And, you know, really, once you have a TV set, it's an endless source of free information, free entertainment, keeps the kids off the street. And it's a a must-have appliance, um, even for the poorest of the poor. So I kind of moved on thinking, wow, television you know, that's really the only way we're going to reach people that can't read or write or live in closed homes, or they are women who never get out and never meet a Christian or kids, you know, who love television. But I have my concerns about television. You know, it's a very superficial medium. People watch it to be entertained. It's not serious like literature that I was involved in where people can read and reflect and reread if necessary. And it's Really, um, when it comes to the gospel, there are certain things that make it difficult to use for presenting Christ. One of these being, of course, you know, you have to have a face for television, you have to have an ego. Now, none of these things really work, you know, in terms of Christian values or exemplary living. And then worse than that, we make the implicit explicit. So we don't know how Jesus uh, looked but tonight, we're going to show you by showing this film, and this is how Jesus looked. It's how he walked, he talked, he prayed, and so on. So some of these things, you know, they're an interpretation, but for many, that's the only interpretation they're going to get. Yeah, so this family in poverty can get endless information through the black and white TV. You and your print literature magazine you had to work at distribution models where once you upload the the video file to the satellite, it becomes accessible to anybody literally with a satellite dish can tune it in. Uh, so it really changes. It's a paradigm shift in how you distribute uh, content. Right. Of course, in that, you know, early 80s, nobody was thinking about satellite television. They were just thinking about how can we use television in general. So we actually began making some programs that we could actually sell to Egyptian television and other networks to try and get low-key Christian content into the minds of millions. But during the 80s, there was a lot more talk about satellite television and how it could bypass censorship, take your programming directly into millions of homes across all kinds of parts of the Arab world where no Christian television would be allowed in any form whatsoever, normally. And so we began working on how would we do this? You know, what kind of content, what kind of partnership, what kind of structure, what kind of research do we need to actually start a satellite television service that would bypass the controls of governments across the whole region? It was an awesome opportunity, but it was not one that was quickly... I mean, people could see how wonderful it would be, but they couldn't see how on earth we could do it, really. There were other Christian media ministries, but you really wanted to have a different model, approach it differently, do something very innovative and pioneering. Why was it important and necessary to do something different? Well, 
as I say, I was quite excited about television uh, in terms of its reach, but a little concerned about it as a medium for conveying Christian truth. But also the model of Christian television didn't seem appropriate for the Middle East. It would, it could make Christianity look like a Western import rather than recognize the fact that you know, there's been Christians living in the Middle East since the day of Pentecost, because the economic model really kind of required, if you look at Christian radio and television stations around the world, most of them survived by selling their airtime to North American Christian ministries to dub or subtitle into local languages. And from that revenue they get from selling the airtime, they pay for their own relatively small amount of programming. We didn't want this. It didn't seem to fit with the Middle East at all. What we wanted to do rather was to give a platform for the local church. Why did we want to do this? Well, there's lots of reasons I've already mentioned, but selling your airtime, and you end up with a mix of programs, some even contradicting each other. There's no kind of deliberate curriculum for teaching programming. It's just one teaching program after another that's not coordinated. There's very little programming on most Christian television channels for children or women, and certainly very few Christian movies or documentaries because people have to buy those. So we we really wanted a schedule that would serve the needs and interests of different audiences, address their research felt needs, attitudes and opinions and so on. And we recognized that we were the schedule. It defined who we were uh, and so on. So we, we needed a whole new model, really, of Christian programming. And we developed some distinctives, which became part of our ethos or our brand. And from the beginning, we said, no, we're not going to sell our airtime. Rather, we make programs locally in local languages and dialects sensitive to their culture and so on, providing a platform for the church to speak into these cultures. And secondly, we would buy culturally appropriate, high-quality programs like movies or cartoons for kids or documentaries for dubbing or subtitling. Thirdly, we would not attack any other religion, but rather present the gospel in a positive way, allowing for each viewer to make up their own mind as to how they responded to the claims of Christ. And then again, we would not work alone. We'd work in partnership with other ministries and churches where we could. We'd keep away from politics, of course, uh, and but yet defend key social and ethical principles. Uh, and we would, in that sense, present our programming as holistic, seeking to make a positive contribution to society by advocating for the rights of minorities, of women, of children, the disabled, the refugee, and so on. So it was going to be a, a completely different type of Christian programming to the typical TV station you may have seen, or Christian TV station. So your, your model for broadcasting is very unique and pioneering but also the way you brought uh, regional churches together and denominations and ministries working in the region, your understanding of partnership was innovative as well. Yeah. I mean, partnership was important to us. I mean, firstly, this was a project that would directly or indirectly impact all the different churches in the MENA region, Middle East and North Africa region impact them for good or bad. And we wanted to listen to the church leaders before we started this project to hear about their hopes and their fears of, about such a television service. Because um, such broadcasts could either help audiences see Christians in a better light, overcoming centuries of misunderstandings about Christians and the church in the region, or the programs could anger Muslims and they might attack 
or destroy churches, Christian homes or businesses, as we've seen in different times of history throughout the region. And of course, our Christian witness is so much greater when it reflects the unity of the church. Um, we read in John 13, verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so unity is very much part of our witness. I don't like to say that we work with all the churches in the region, but rather I say we work with and give a platform to the believers in all the churches. We know that in every church there are nominal or even rather bad or even crazy people in, in some of our evangelical churches even. And it's the same with all denominations. And if we reject a church based on some bad experience that we've had with some individual characters, we lose the plot. Uh, I, I think when I went to the Middle East, I was fairly narrow-minded in that respect. But meeting some of the most godly people I've ever met in the Orthodox traditions or the Catholic traditions changed my whole perspective. And, and I found there were people who were really strategic partners in the work of sharing the gospel in all different churches. You just have to see where the Holy Spirit is working in people's lives and churches uh, and, and get on board and join hands with our brothers and sisters in the Great Commission. Very interesting. And Dr. Ascot has written a book called Dare to Believe, a fascinating story of Sat7 and believers in the Middle East and North Africa. And uh, you can learn more if you go to his website, terrenceascott.com, T-E-R-E-N-C-E-A-S-C-O-T-T.com. And our sponsor, Sat7 USA, will send you also uh, the first copy, a digital version of the first copy of their Bridge Brook. And you can get that at sat7usa.org and slash dare to believe book. So you just uh, go to the Sat7 USA website and then a slash and then type in dare to believe book. And you can get a free copy of the first uh, chapter. Or if you give a gift to the ministry, they'll send you a digital copy of the book as a gift for your contribution to help uh, the Christians there in the Middle East making programs for Sat7 doing audience relations. You know, it comes to mind, you talk about uh, 27 years ago, 30 years ago, how this all came about to launch, and uh, and everybody thought it was impossible to do what you've accomplished, so congratulations. But how has the Middle East changed in 27 years of Christian broadcasting through Sat7? I know it's a loaded question, how has the Middle East changed, but what are some of the big points of change you've seen over 27 years? Um, you know, one thing that's not changed, of course, is the ongoing violence and political unrest in the region, the growing frustration of unemployed youth applied to the refugees and the displaced and so on. But in terms of media ministry, you know, so much has changed. I mean, when we first started all TV was state controlled, and even in the early years of satellite channels, they were all state funded and controlled. And of course, since then, Hundreds of other channels have emerged, bypassing censorship of any one government, you know, opening up people to all kinds of new ideas and possibilities. And of course, there was no social media when we first started. You know, we just relied on phone calls and regular mail, and then we introduced fax. Uh, that was how we communicated with our viewers in those first few days. And since then, of course, we've seen the emergence of inexpensive and often secure messenger service like WhatsApp, Viber, Signal, Messenger, Skype, Zoom, Teams, 
Telegram, and so on, as well as the emergence of new digital platforms for sharing content like YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, uh, and all kinds of new web streaming services that are available. So it's just a whole different ballgame. And Middle Easterners, especially young people, are really getting, have really got on board with some of these platforms. Uh, and it makes our ministry so much more effective and widespread, I guess. Uh, we, we have now global audiences through the streaming services from our digital platforms. 31 million views of programming on YouTube alone last year. So it's really very exciting. But of course, we're, we're still on the verge of all kinds of new and more powerful services, all kinds of things that are existing now, but will be powered by 5G, GSM networks, enhanced by quantum computing and AI. And this is going to present all kinds of new opportunities as well as challenges. How will we separate truth from fiction in this new world? And what are the new ethical considerations of the use of this kind of media and this new powerful computing that we have at our fingertips. So, you know, these are all changes. But of course, there's also been changes in the Middle East in other ways. People are now more aware of their rights, even if they're not free to practice these. Women have new expectations of equality. And even religion has been heavily questioned. There's been a dramatic rise in self-declared atheists and deists, people who haven't given up on God, but they don't want anything to do with traditional religion because, well, especially those in countries where religious leaders are synonymous with political leaders like Iran, Saudi, Turkey, uh, where you know people have rejected or been disenchanted with political leadership who've exploited religious principles to justify their behavior and oppression of people. So there's this new openness in one sense, but it's also a new closeness to God, and people have given up on religion. This has its own challenges, but it also presents new opportunities for presenting the Christian faith. Just as Sat7 was pioneering and innovative 27 years ago, with all the changes in digital platforms, streaming services, uh, Sat7 has remained very pioneering and innovative in its approach in harnessing the power of some of these new tools like social media. So again, uh, the story of Sat7 is in this book called Dare to Believe that Dr. Ascot has written. I encourage you to get on his website, terrenceascott.com. And you can just Google search that and uh, find him and his website. And if you want to read the first chapter, reach out to Sat7USA slash Dare to Believe book, and uh, you'll receive the first chapter. And we appreciate gifts uh, that come in because they help the teams across the Middle East, across the four channels, the streaming services, the social media, the audience relations teams for each of the different platforms and what's being done. So we appreciate every gift that comes in because it means so much. It helps so much. So really appreciate you checking it out and uh, join the prayer team and come alongside us as we pray for the team. We're about 250 now across the Middle East in uh, various studios making these programs. So, Dr. Ascot, this is fascinating talking to you, and uh, we'll do more of these podcasts along the way, but thank you for taking time to join us today on the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. Thank you for your kind invitation. In our changing world, there are more ways than ever to do ministry. SAT7, as a broadcast media ministry, is changing how ministry is done. 
through innovative approaches, collaborative efforts, broadcast satellite television, web streaming, and social media, SAT7 is making a difference. Visit SAT7 online today at sat7usa.org to learn ways you can be a part of this kingdom work. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please share it with your friends. If you know of an unconventional ministry approach, please introduce us. We'd like to have them on as guests. Thank you again for joining this episode of the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. Thank you.